Hey, Jess. Yes. I got something to ask you. Okay. I guess that's not really a question, but <laughs> more of a statement? I'm not even sure. She was doing... Uh, I was Munsoning over there. Was she was Munson-ing. doing the Eddie Munson. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets that. Um, that'll be obvious. That'll be relevant later on in the show. I just wanted to get it in there up top, yeah. right? What show is this? Oh yeah. So welcome back <laughs> and step right up. It's nailed. That's right. Halo thirteen time. We're finally diving into that fragile era. I'm Blake, by the way. I'm Jessica. And what is Halo thirteen? Halo thirteen is the day the world went away. Wow, so is it like a single for that song? I mean, some would argue that it's a single for Starfuckers. <laughs> I think there could be a good argument could be made for that. But technically, yes, it's a single for that track, okay. which is a very, very unlikely song yeah. to pick for a first single. I had a note about that, too. How weird of a, like, is this even a single? Is this single material? Not that it isn't a great song, but that it's just a very strange song. It's very that strange. That no sane radio DJ in the mainstream would ever play. Could you imagine it's 1999, Limp Biscuit's Faith cover is on the radio, and then suddenly it switches to the <laughs> day the world went away? What a crazy-ass year. I don't remember when that was. it 99 or 98? Uh, I can't one remember. One of those two. Yeah. But there was definitely some Limp Biscuit. Um, Nookie might have been more 99. I, I thought right. that was 2000. Yeah, I thought you could be right I, there. I don't remember. Sorry it took us so long to get to this point, but let's finally get into this single Halo and mm-hmm. take us away, Jess. Okay. Well, I was just going to ask you, and I was having strange... If I'm ready to for some rock and roll? <laughs> Anybody out there like to get high? Oh, you got to hear... Have you heard the... Have you heard the 45 minutes of Paul Stanley stage banter? No. Oh, you got, we'll listen to it later. It's insane. Is that what you were quoting from? That was one thing in there, but there are many, many deranged, and I'm talking deranged <laughs> uh, things that Paul Stanley shrieks so loud that it sounds like his lungs are about to come undone. But then he still, he still belts the songs okay. That's good. Does he play the disco hits, you think? I sure hope. Like that one track. Um, I Was Made for Loving You. Yeah. That song fucks. Ooh, don't. <laughs> we're not going to talk about Kiss songs. Okay. Sorry. Right I'm sorry. It's a, That's fine. I like that track. Um, Goofy. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm not saying it's like serious. That's yeah. that's their closer. Did you know that? Is it? Nice. That had to have been. 
the Kiss disco single had to have been a little bit influential on a little Trent Reznor, right? Surely. A little bit. And a little bit of that DNA ended up in Closer. That's my theory. Okay. Nice. Okay. Yeah, no, I was I was thinking about this earlier today and trying to think of, like, buying this first Halo and what I was doing. And then it occurred to me, this came out in summer, right? It was, uh, I believe, July 20th of 1999. Mm-hmm. And that summer, I was working at a call center with wow. my best friend, Beth. We sold, this is the most horrible thing you could ever possibly sell to someone, but we were somehow successful. Timeshares? Timeshares for... There were two places. One was to like Scottsdale, Arizona, like golf courses, that yep. kind of thing. Awful, awful place. The other, Branson, Missouri. Oh, wow. Uh, another awful place. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually okay at it, although I hated it. I was okay at it, and I usually would get like those little bonuses. If anyone's ever worked in a call center, they'll know what I'm talking about, but they will do yeah. like hourly uh, bonuses or whatever. I did it for a few days. It was too horrendous. I left. Yeah. I did this just for the summer, but I remember I had hella money that summer. Mm. And By the so. way, that's the time of year it is now, late July. It's fragile summer, folks. <laughs> um, okay, so. But yeah, I was trying to think like what I had been up in Springfield on the day it came out, and I think I would have been, but I don't remember if I actually bought it on the day it came out. That's what I was trying to figure out in my head, but I, I feel like I did. I'm trying to think of what I was doing the summer of 99. And it was nothing, it wasn't working unless I might've been working because I was like a high school fr- freshman. You were probably 14, which means you were an incoming freshman yeah. or turning 14. Cause it turned, okay. It, in the middle of my freshman year, it turned from 99 to 2000. Mm-hmm. Summer of 99, I was going between, I was between middle school and high school mm-hmm. and I Nine Inch Nails were not on my radar yet. So I was definitely not cool. I was not listening to anything cool. Uh, The coolest thing I was hearing was probably Red Hot Chili Peppers, (laughs) Californication that summer. I think that was that summer. Um, Might have been the next summer, actually. That summer or the next. I was possibly working um, a concession stand at the for the local parks department. You also worked concessions? Yeah, we've talked about that. We did? Yeah, that that was like both of our first jobs. And then I worked another concession stand at the movie theater, and it's like I was destined to work <laughs> stupid concessions. Maybe one day you can work concessions again if you try In hard enough. In the big enough. leagues, yeah, I'll go professional. <laughs> you can start out at the uh, the Springfield Cardinals. Ooh, that's, Concessions, yeah. yeah. They probably make about the same there. <laughs> Ten dollars a night, like I made in. I probably made like five dollars an hour. Yeah, yeah. So, but I'm pretty sure I probably bought this the week it came out, maybe not the day, because my friend Matt and I were very into Nine Inch Nails, and also were very competitive about trying to get new releases before the other person. So, I'm jealous that you got to do that. I wish I was that tuned in, but I was just a baby. I'm jealous that you still have youth on your side, I and I'm just though. a shriveled crone. I'm a so. bald gray man. <laughs> Shriveled crone, come on. I'm 40, life is over. I'm I'm 37 and life is over. Anyway, so it comes out, you hear it blasting from the radio, you you see it on MTV everywhere you look. Everywhere. The day the world went away, taking America by storm. You pulled up next to a Jeep full of college boys and they're just blasting it. Let me now obviously that's not true, but when you went out and got this single 
First of all, where'd you get it? Most likely CD Warehouse. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, the cool place. Were you aware of Starfuckers or had that not even dropped? I was not aware of it. Starfuckers, was was it kind of like secretly uh, secretly dropped with this and like no one had heard it until they got this CD? I think that might be the case because the music video wasn't out. Mm-mm. Um, Star Suckers was not on the airwaves unless someone was leaking it. But you, if you got the CD, then you'd be like, what is this little Starfucker song? And why is it so profanely titled? <laughs> not since Fistfuck have we had such a filthy title of a Nine Inch Nail song. Yeah. But you know what I think is probably the funniest part of that is we had to go back home to Marshfield to play it because neither one of my friends had CD players in their car. Wow. <laughs> That's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Life in the 90s. Did not have my car yet, obviously. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so this came out um, July 20th, 1999. There are three formats, right? There's the CD, and they all have different tracks. So there's the CD. That version has The Day the World Went Away, Starfuckers, Inc., and then the quiet version of The Day the World Went Away. And then there's a vinyl. Yeah. So the vinyl has The Day the World Went Away. Day the World Went Away, Quiet, and then The Day the World Went Away, Porter Ricks. Right, which, yeah, instead of Starfuckers, you get the Porter Ricks remix, um, remix in quotes, and that takes up the entire B-side of that uh, 12-inch vinyl. Mm-hmm. It's kind of wild. Yeah. Then there's the promo version, which... Promo vinyl, yeah. Yeah promo vinyl version which is the same as the vinyl version but it has starfuckers yeah so, so yeah once again the promo has something cooler than than uh the official yeah kind of like we saw with the perfect drug and then there was of course a casingle the one of the i'm gonna say one of oh, the last casingles yeah. i really don't know i forgot was, about casingle version yeah a side day the world went away and then the b side was starfuckers oh just two mm-hmm. interesting Okay, and we have uh, we have all those except for the cassette, right? Yeah, we do. Whoa, that's pretty good for us. And we have to thank one of our patrons for having the... Now, Jess bought the promo on her own a while back. Mm-hmm. We have to thank a patron who sent us the regular Halo 13 vinyl, right? Yes, thank you, Asher. Yes, thank you, Asher, for that. So we got to experience it uh, firsthand. Okay, so I want to know, Blake, I have a game. Oh, boy. Actually, I have two possible games, but you get to choose, okay? Okay. So we'll come to that in a second. So this single was Nine Inch Nails' first top 40 hit on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. It peaked at number 17, and that is still their highest ever position on that chart. What? Mm -hmm. On the Hot 100. Is this... Star Suckers? What? No, it was the day the world went away. Oh, that's so weird. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking about how no one would play it. Someone had to play it somewhere because if it's on the Hot 100, it's getting airplay. Yeah. How does I don't I don't or is it is that based on like units sold? 
I think it's a combination of factors, actually, okay. for the Hot 100. I think it's a little bit different. Yeah, I don't know how they... Uh... And they now they add in streaming, too, yeah. obviously. And the streaming is really complicated. I can't even remember how they do the streaming. It's yeah, kind of strange. It's really weird math. Yeah. But, okay, this is what I think it was. Um, obviously, there was tons of anticipation built up for this album. We all know how... Uh, it, the album had an amazing first week and then the second week. Well, we'll talk about that later. But this lead single would have just been like part of that rabid anticipation leading up to the album. So I can see it going big. Yeah. And it was our first sneak peek, you know, at something you've yeah. been working on. And it was also very strange. Can you imagine like mm. telling your friend like, okay, the new Nine Inch Nails single is Remember out. Remember the closer guy? <laughs> it's more like hurt than it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we'll talk about it. But yeah, it's just strange. It's just a very strange song, which we'll get into. Um, but try explaining it to your friend. You're just like, well. <laughs> yeah, like, imagine, okay, explaining to your friend who's never heard it, but is familiar with older Nine Inch Nail stuff. What would you say? Like, well, there's really loud guitars <laughs> no drums no no drums and then at all he he sings one verse and then it slows down and then the loud guitars come back and it goes na 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 a lot <laughs> and it's loud guitars and there's still no beat um and then it just sort of ends yeah it's so weird by the way there's no chorus unless you count the na na nas which on a literal level, I guess would be a chorus. Could just be an outro. So and your friend would be like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, that this song number seventeen, Hot One Hundred. So Blake, weird. Here's your option for games. Mm-hmm. Your game options are to either list what other Nine Inch Nail songs have been on the Hot One Hundred. There Ooh. are seven. Oh my god! Or you can guess the top ten on the Billboard Hot One Hundred that week. In I 1999. think we have to do both of these games. As okay. People may hate sitting through this, but <laughs> yeah, people like games. Okay, so we'll start with uh, other songs by Nine Inch Nails that are on the Hot 100. There are seven, not including The Day the World Went Away. Okay. Okay, go. Head Like a Hole. No. Okay, weird. Um the perfect drug. Yes, number three. It was its peak position was uh, forty six, and it was on the charts for nine weeks. Wow! You got one of them closer. Yes, that is their second highest. Its peak position was uh, forty one, and it was on there for twenty two weeks. Hurt. No. What? Um. Now I'm forgetting all the singles. Uh, is there even anything on Broken at all? No. There's none from Pretty Hate Machine. I'll just tell you that. What? None. There's another one from uh, The Downward Spiral. How is there not hurt? Just never was on the Hot 100. March of the Pigs. Yes. So that was five. Um, that was uh, peak position was 59 and it was on there for three weeks. What am I missing? You're missing some stuff from With Teeth. Oh, I completely... I was only thinking about stuff that was... Prior to this, for some stupid reason. Ah, uh, no, sorry. Uh, okay, hand that feeds. Yes, that is 
um, peak position was 31 on there for 20 weeks. Only? Uh, yes. That, <laughs> that peak position was 90, and it was on there for eight weeks. There's one more from that album. Oh, every day is exactly the same. Yes. Peak position was 56 on there for one week. The singles. Have I got them all? One more. And it's from Year Zero. Thank you for helping me cheat. Survivalism? <laughs> yes. We, I, I wouldn't have guessed that. Okay. Peak position was 68 on there for one week. That's a song I never heard on the radio, but I also wasn't listening to radio at the time. Oh, I definitely wasn't. At I heard all. the hand of feeds 500,000 times. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. Now, the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 the same week okay. that the day the world went away peaked. So, Smooth by Santana <laughs> featuring Rob Thomas. I think that was in 2000. But. Damn it. <laughs> um, Faith by this, Limp Bizkit. No, this is the funniest fucking top 10 ever. Like, I'm dying. Summer of 99, this. top mm -hmm. 10 on the Hot 100 that week. Uh-huh. Jesus Christ. How is it not smooth? Um, when was Beyonce's old group? Okay, so Destiny's Child, was it, um, don't tell me, was it Bills, Bills, Bills? That was number two. Nice. Mm -hmm. um, there's probably a lot of shitty rock bands on there. Mm, there's at least a couple. Was Three Doors Down on there? No. Um, I'm trying to just raw dog it right now with no <laughs> hints. Um were Red Hot Chili Peppers on there? Nope. I must have the Californication summer wrong. Um, okay, I, I need a hint then. Okay, there was a pop princess who later got dirty. Oh, Christina Aguilera? Mm-hmm. Was it uh, Genie in a Bottle? Yes. Was Britney Spears on there? No, but there's another... <laughs> what? I'm sorry, there's another pop star who was a crossover actress slash pop star. Uh, Recently married Ben Affleck. <laughs> oh, J-Lo. Yes. Was it Waiting for Tonight? It was If You Had My Love. Uh-oh. Mm -hmm. Okay. One was a band that you don't like at all, but I think most people hate this song. Even if they like the band, I think they hate this song. It's a Pearl Jam song. Oh. Um... I'm not like a hater or anything. I'm just more indifferent. A Pearl Jam song in 1999 was on. Uh, I don't know at all. Last Kiss. <laughs> I don't know why I buzzed that, but I had no answer. Okay. There's okay. Uh, one from a Will Smith movie. Oh, um, was it Wild Wild West? Yes. You know, I do kind of miss dumb movie songs like that. Yeah, that. Yeah, Men in Black. Right. right. The Bat Dance. Yeah. I miss that. Ooh, Bat Dance. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles song by Vanilla Ice. And the lesser known but better one by, uh, it's called Turtle Power, I think. Mm. Was that MC Hammer? No, no. no uh. It was uh, Partners in Rhyme or something <laughs> like that. I don't feel like looking it up. Amazing. And don't forget Ghostbusters. Yes. The best. Okay. Am I missing anything? Uh, there was one by Casey and Jojo called Tell Me It's Real, which I don't know that one. It's weird. Uh, Where My Girl's At, 702. And then no. Smash Mouth, All Star. You didn't, God, you just, you didn't even let me go for that one. Nah, okay. you were taking too long. Nah, I'm sorry. Okay. You were mixing up your summers. I don't know what was going the, the on. People, yeah. Well, it, <laughs> you know what? It was 22, 23 freaking years ago. My brain's a little fried on that era.
right, so. So diving into the tracks. Let's do this. I guess we'll start with the single itself, The Day the World Went Away. So we're hearing the single version. The entrance of the dronings. It's noticeably different from the album version. It's obviously not coming off of somewhat damaged, so it opens a bit differently. And this one's a good minute shorter than the album version. We'll talk about why. But it it gets into the guitar. It gets there faster, significantly faster than the album version, which lets the drones go out longer. Me describing this song to my friend. Hey man, you like drones? <laughs> <laughs> Do you like drones? You like droning sounds? Um, and we're hearing the sludgiest guitars we've ever heard Trent Reznor play. There's something so comforting about those guitars, though. Like, to me, it's like I'm home when I hear those. Yeah. It's like, it's it. familiar. Even though you're in strange territory, you're like, okay. Yeah, especially since this is one of the. One of my earliest memories of Nine Inch Nails probably is listening to this song, a, a whole bunch of songs, but this is in that group of the first songs I heard. Anthemic, I should say. I'll, I'll come back to that thought. Anthemic songs. This vocal take is completely different from the vocal take on the album. Which do you prefer? I, I've been thinking about that. I like how he delivers it here. Mm-hmm. In many ways, I like this one better. I think I agree. The, the way he sings it. But he has high pass filtered his voice on this one where he doesn't do that on the album. So I, I don't like the filtering, but I think I like the singing performance better on this one. I called it a little bit whinier almost on the single, mm-hmm. but not in a bad way. It's a little bit higher. And the high pass, I mean, adds to that. He's singing a little bit higher and sweeter, and I don't know. We do have some interesting guests on this, don't we? Some interesting guest vocalists that will come oh, in. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> An interesting group of guest vocalizers, mm-hmm. yeah. That's Trent on the ukulele, slowing down. First ukulele and Nine Inch Nails. And then, oh, jump scare. <laughs> so the anthemic, what you could possibly call the chorus or the outro. This is... On the album, it extends this part longer. We still get plenty of it here. It kind of sounds like it was ultra-distorted na-na-nas that almost sound like a kazoo, but then they're replaced by more um, more clean, human-sounding na-na-nas.
vibe into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after hearing the album version so many times, it does seem really, it seems to end quickly, <laughs> four mm-hmm. minutes instead of five minutes, and then it just cuts off like right away. It's one of those classic Trent Reznor hard cut endings. And it has that weird little um, Love those delayed, hard stops. The delayed echo of the ping, ping, Yeah, ping. the ping. On the album, it does it a few more times. This one only does it once. Do you have anything you want to play for us? Yeah, I I discovered some interesting stuff listening through and pulling out clips. So the vocals that I talked about, these are the vocals uh, from the, the verse part. The only words, the only lyrics in the song, the single version for comparison. And for comparison on the fragile version. He lets his voice crack and like disintegrate at the end of phrases on that one. Mm-hmm. Single. Album. I mean, it's a little more full because it doesn't have the high pass. If you're talking about decay, I guess it makes sense you let your vocal decay at the end of the phrase. And for funsies, I put both of them together for a little Trent chorus effect. The best of both worlds, right? Nice. I mean, I could probably live with that. I, I love that, actually. It's cool, but <laughs> the the sort of loneliness of the song, yeah. I understand why just a single works yeah. for it. Um, we got, I had to get some Trent playing ukulele, uh, really isolated. Listen to all the noise you can hear. Like his arm like brushing against the uke. And then there's like a weird little noise as it's about to ramp back up into the loud part again. But yeah, that's the first appearance of a ukulele in Nine Inch Nails music. Uh, it's all- what inspired Billie Eilish to pick up her first <laughs> that's uke. That's why she picked it up. <laughs> she's been a, a fan. That's why she's always wearing the t-shirts. Since she was a tot. Yeah, lots of, it's the beginning of many interesting stringed instruments to be heard on the album to come, you know. Uh, so a little bit of a different direction, giving us a taste of that. Much more organic. Yeah, so many there. more acoustic instruments uh, and organic instruments are going to be played on this. The outro we heard on the single, of course, was very clipped off. But just for comparison to the album version, I uh, this is what it sounds like going into uh, the next track on the album, which would be The Frail. 
I brought the volume way up so you can hear the little echo at the end of the song and you can hear what it fades into on the album version, which is the single version doesn't have this, but I just thought it was too cool to not include. Hear Trent's voice? Hey. So yeah, it's like they made these samples out of Trent's voice, um, kept them really low and leads right into the frail and they uh, play throughout a few different parts of the frail. That was really cool. I don't think I've ever... Yeah, you have to crank it way the fuck up. Like I, I never noticed it before either. One really interesting thing that I didn't know until recently when I was just messing around with the song was that the... Uh, what I called the blue noise at the beginning of that, that opens the day the world went away. So you uh, call this noise a blue I, noise. Like it I, makes you think of the color blue. I, yeah. Uh, and I was talking earlier about how off mic, how, uh, the song seems blue to me. The song <laughs> shows up as has always showed up as blue in my mind. Mm. Um, I said, icy gray. <laughs> yes. And I think both of those are valid for this song. Uh, it's somewhere between blue and gray. Maybe you see it as purple. I don't know. Or you don't see it as color at all because you're <laughs> not weird like us. But what I call the blue drones or noise, there's more than just a drone there. There is actually sort of a beat going on. Did you ever notice like little rhythmic sounds in there? Mm, like barely. Maybe. Yeah, you hear some gurgling, mm-hmm. but it's an extremely slowed down sort of beat. Here's what it sounds like um, sped up three times, uh, three times normal speed. Oh. It's like a whole last beat. This is, this is from uh, Deviations, which is the same, but just elongated. So it's like not, it's like the whole thing whereas in the single in the album they cut off part of it but it's like eight bars of this beat before leading in here it goes Got some power pop, pop punk. So I thought that was kind of cool. That is cool. And then I accidentally discovered that when you speed up the end of the song uh, to 300%, you actually get a DDR. Nice. (laughs) I'm getting the high score. My legs are going crazy. (laughs) Right? Did Trent Reznor invent hyperpop? <laughs> I think he did. I think <laughs> this is literally 100 gex now. Okay, so you have one more clip, though, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. But before I, you... Uh, I saved it. Yeah, before we talk about that clip, I was talking about how there are some special guest vocalists yeah, on so this famous, album. Like, he brought in some famous, like a We Are The World mm-hmm. type 
Bob Dylan. Phil Collins. Michael Jackson. Peter Gabriel. Uh, Janet Jackson. Tom Petty's there. Tom, yeah. Diana Ross. Tom Waits. Um, Cindy Lauper. <laughs> She's got one headphone on, folks. <laughs> I think it was her that annoyed Bob Dylan so much. Bob because, Dylan did not want to be there. Because like her bangle bracelets or something were rattling. Like, Can you imagine all the bleed from the noise that a bleacher full <laughs> of 25 people is making? Uh, so anyway, um, and sometimes when I'm doing research about Nine Inch Nails, I feel like I'm just being trolled. Like I have to look up five different places to make sure that what I'm reading yeah. is true. So in the liner notes, there's a credit to um, the Buddha Debutante Choir, and this choir right. and is don't, don't you get them confused with the Buddha Boys? Nope, don't don't do that. So this is made up of Melissa Daigle, Judy Miller, Christine Parrish, M. Gabriella Rivas, Heather Bennett, Faye Young, and Martha Wood. Who are these people, and where did they come from? Um. These aren't the people he just grabbed randomly off of Bourbon Street, are they? So these are people that he, they were bar patrons who were brought in from a place called Igor's Buddha Belly, which was pretty <laughs> close to Nothing Studio. So imagine this, you're out with your girls, you're having yeah. a good time. Oh my God. You're drinking like those gigantic things that are like five feet tall that are just full of the sugariest yeah. booze you've ever seen. Yeah, what do they call it? A yard long? <laughs> no. Uh, this group of like disheveled dudes comes walking in and they approach they you. They look like vampires who haven't seen the sun in months. <laughs> they approach you and your friends and they say, hey, we're making an album down the street and we just need some people to come in and do some some na-na-na backing vocals. Do you think you would do it? Number one, would you trust these people if you didn't know who they were? Like who was sent out? Was it Reznor? It was Dave Rave Ogilvy. <laughs> Maybe it was Bob Ezrin. No, it wasn't Bob Ezrin. No. Uh, maybe it was. Hang on. Some people have been telling me the name of of a of an engineer, including Jess. I think you sent me this too, but listeners did as well. Leo. It was Leo Herrera. <laughs> I don't know who it was, but somehow these people came to. Uh, they said, "Hey, ladies, uh, do you like Land of a Thousand Dances? Because have we got a." Catchy little chorus for you. <laughs> Land of a Thousand Dances. Does that reference work? Yeah, I get it. I don't know if the Zoomers will. Maybe you should the put Zoom in a little bit of the na 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 Wilson Pickett. Yeah, I'll just play it. Yeah. There you go. So Dave Rave and Trent. <laughs> Go down the street, uh -huh. and they say, need somebody to help me say it one time. Okay. And now these ladies are helping. Okay. So, yeah, that's where that comes from. So, this was the first thing I found where I was researching, and I was like, what are they talking about? Is this a joke? And I had to look into it because I didn't know for sure. I hope the ladies got paid well, too. I hope. They hope they got some royalties. This hit number 17. I highly doubt they got a point on the record, a royalty, anything like that. They probably just did a one-off payment, if I had to guess, but you never know. 
For two years, Reznor holed up in his high-tech New Orleans studio, conjuring brutal new riffs and exotic new sounds, and occasionally creating whole choirs out of some locals he'd corralled in from nearby watering holes. Who are all the singers on here? They just pick them out of the neighborhood? Or... Yeah, it would typically go like uh, 11 o'clock at night. We'd figure, oh, we need some people to yell something. So we'd just <laughs> empty the bar across the street, and a bunch of drunk guys come in and, you know, mumble something. and. I think we assembled the most atonal group of uh, females I've ever heard. Oh, no. I hope they're not watching this right now. They're just comically horrendous. <laughs> well, comically horrendous. Okay, but that doesn't describe this, because this is a very nice sound. Everything is, is on on pitch. Everything's in tune. The chorus is, is very pleasant sounding. So I wonder if he's talking about something else. I think he's talking about what else would he? So we're talking about the so-called Buddha debutante choir, uh-huh. and he's calling them atonal and horrendous. But they created the very beautiful na na nas. That doesn't track to me. I'm just maybe he had to coach them for a long time to get what he wanted. Okay. They spent months in the studio uh, <laughs> taking singing lessons from Trent Reznor until they went from abysmal to good singers. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll play what I what I got here. Um, and also, I'll, I'll throw in there, maybe that there's a lot of drunkard stuff that never made it to the album, you know, that no one's ever heard. Not deviations or anything. Okay, so here's Trent and I guess the debutante, the Buddha debut, the Buddha debutante choir, at the end of the song. Kind of builds layers upon layers, uh, the Trent Reznor method. I wanted to isolate things further. There, there weren't stems or multitracks available for this album like uh, there were for uh, other previous stuff, so I had to get more creative, and I started using vocal isolation AI software. And I did want to credit uh, someone online who made an amazing uh, piece of AI, uh, someone named Melnick Dimitri, the vocal remover. Anyway, I got some cool stuff. The first uh, being this vocal isolation. Now, it's far from perfect, but it gives you more of an idea what the people in the room would have sounded like without all the instruments. Now, there's a lot of weirdness in there that's mm-hmm. digital artifacting that comes from the process of the AI removing the instruments, removing in quotes. But what sticks out is that I definitely, in addition to the layers of Trent, I hear higher, more feminine sounding vocals mm-hmm. that I wasn't really hearing before. And for the first time, it was sounding more like a choir of other people were joining Trent. It wasn't just Trent. 
Um, also, there's some weird stuff in there that I can't quite tell if it's the digital artifacts or if it maybe it is those atonal harpies or whatever he <laughs> called them, um, like warbling. He called or them atonal sh- women. Shrieking. Oh, I thought he said wenches. I don't think he said winches. I can't. Uh, he wasn't nice. <laughs> um. Anyway, I thought that was cool. So the debutantes. The debutantes. Um, also, I was looking for the restaurant, and I think I already said it was called Eager's Buddha Belly at four four three seven Magazine Street, and I think it's permanently closed. Oh no, not I the Buddha Belly. I don't know if it survived COVID. Well, what happened to Magazine Street in the hurricane? I wonder. I don't know if it was hit really hard. Anyway, are we going to go on to Starfuckers? Spend just a second talking about it since. Sure. I didn't know how deep into Starfuckers Inc. you wanted to get. In many ways, you could argue this is a backdoor single that they just didn't want to call a single Starfuckers, or maybe there were. See, I would argue against that because the first song that had a video was We're in This Together. It wasn't Starfuckers. That... Oh, okay. I don't think Starfuckers had a video until like 2000. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, We're In This Together has a lot of lead single, breakout single uh, energy behind it. That makes sense. But it's it's just strange that it's kind of like, okay, the, the, this weird, slow, drumless, anthemic thing, and then uh, an angry rocker. Starfuckers is the, very much the one of these tracks is not like the others, uh, track on here and on the fragile itself for that matter. So what'd you find out? Oh, it's just double checking. Starfucker's video did not come out until May of 2000. Okay. So I was double checking my, so well I'm going to argue against your theory because it okay. came out quite a bit after. Gotcha. Like almost a year. <laughs> after. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So a late single. So this one though, the way it starts because of the beats, I, could connect it more to perfect drug era i guess yeah this was what i thought the album was gonna kind of go that way more little drum and bassy as we talked about on the perfect drug episode Mm -hmm. and wasn't it something were you going to talk about the beat and its creation i mean we we don't have to get super into it right now but i believe i read that the that beat the starfuckers beat was created by charlie clauser possibly uh for the tapeworm project before it was repurposed for Nine Inch Nails. It's possible. Tapeworm was just cannibalized into <laughs> other projects. Other projects, yeah. But I didn't want to get too deep into it. I thought we could just play it, maybe yeah. talk about some of the minor differences. Yeah, because there are differences in single versus album. But yeah, let's play the version of Starfuckers Inc. that's on the single. That crunchy beat, crunchy, is the operative word. I believe the only difference on the Halo 13 version of Starfuckers at all is the ending, right? I think so. I think that's it. Another long intro song. My God, in the back of the limousine. Vocal effect... I wonder if Clouser had something to do with the, the vocal effects, too. They're almost not that Resnorian. It's like something you've never heard 
from him before. It's like, this is a little different. This sounds yeah. a little high-tech, a little... Just the way it's choppy and glitchy and... Yeah, the glitchiness of it. Yeah, it's almost of its time, maybe a little bit. It's debatable whether it ages well. There's a lot of controversy around this yeah. song and the, yeah, plenty, and the fandom. Yeah, plenty, We don't have to talk about it all right now. Nah. I'm sure we will. Yeah, this does sound more like perfect drug era. I mean, the chorus is... Of course, it's kind of like just classic. Like the perfect uh, drug, but the verses. Yeah. And but yeah, it makes sense that Clouser did the beat because he does that super slick electronic production, as we heard on like his remixes on Downward Spiral. That's just his style. Pretty cool beat, though. I dig it. Oh yeah. But yeah, it's like a totally different genre of song when it hits the chorus. And, hard rock it's also anthemic we're just you're just tossing that word out well it is i mean (laughs) in in the sense that it's a bunch of people shouting one word or two words she's doing all these uh, motions along to the song she's doing a dance doing the upward twist right here in the studio (laughs) Uh, followed by the fast shaking dude Are these the Buddha boys um, yelling starfuckers? I think I think it is. She's doing head nods to me again, which means Blake, shut up. I hate you. That's not what it means. And she's shrugging It means now, that means you said we were really going to get super... I know, but we can talk. We can talk over it. I think this is my favorite part, maybe. Just break it down. All sorts of cool little noises back there. You have to really crank crank up the volume on this bridge to hear all the little things going on. Do you like the Carly Simon stuff? Yes. I love that he used Carly Simon lyrics. It's funny that they had to change them. I believe they had to change them for the Star Suckers, which I think is in the video because I don't rights reasons. That part's pretty cool. The don't you... (laughs) I think this is probably the most even though it has all the strangeness of the the beat and the glitch i think it's the most like nine inch nails track if that makes sense as if you think yeah. about like you know broken and yeah the downward spiral like this seems like a natural if you were looking for more hard rock and nails this would be more your thing possibly although i know it didn't turn out to be everybody's thing A lot of interesting sounds to dig into. Layered in there though. And I did dig into a few. It took a lot of a lot of drunk men to create all the power behind that <laughs> shouted chorus, you know. No one yells louder than drunk dudes. Just, that weird little noise. Hmm. The loudest people on the planet. Maybe, just drunk people in general. Could really. these have been the um, people he called 
heinous and atonal, the people who are shouting starfuckers. He's talking about women. Oh, that's right. Oof. Okay. Fireworks. <laughs> that's not Trent. Paul Stanley, ladies and gentlemen. He's about to play Complication. Yeah, a lot of very weird things happening all yeah. <laughs> at the end there. So why don't we just go over the ending, which I guess is the main difference, and we yeah. can save the rest of it for yep. a later up. Yeah. Okay. So what you heard uh, was a apparently licensed, so permission <laughs> was received, and uh, I believe it's in the, the liner notes and everything from a uh, Kiss Live album. For some reason... I would love to hear an interview about the reasoning behind, well, we know he has nostalgia for Kiss and everything, so I'm sure he really enjoyed Kiss Alive 2, which this comes from the end of Shout It Out Loud, uh, which is probably the closing song from the album, Um, Paul Stanley shouting goodnight, we hear (laughs) fireworks, which were part of their stage show, or pyrotechnics going off. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, big, what I call the rock and roll ending, the most rock and roll ending of, in all of Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> that uh, there's like double kick drum and everything. That and it just hangs out. There's like nothing like that in all of NIN discography, except for right here. This is the most indulgent uh, he'd possibly. Get. Maybe he was just getting so indulgent he was like, "This is this is like Kiss now. I'm, I should just." Stick a kiss sample in there to just really, really top it off almost as a, a middle finger. I don't know. I don't know. Or as a joke, like he's in on yeah. it. Yeah. Show that he's in on the joke. He knows how over the top it is. Um, so we hear the, the kiss crowd is, is screaming um, and it fades out pretty quickly. Some sources like uh, NIN Wiki say the crowd can be heard um, chanting Nine Inch Nails. I do not hear that at all. Mm -mm. In fact, I have some evidence against it that um, they are shouting uh, either We Want Kiss or because the the crowd noise is taken from the Kiss Live album. So Mm -hmm. here is that cut from the end of Shout It Out Loud from the Kiss Live album. Kiss. We want kiss. I think it's we want kiss. Possibly we love kiss. If you're a kiss fan, you might know better. Then on, um, so the single cuts that off. It's kind of covered up by this fake out complication guitar. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. They're teasing the song Complication, which we don't even know what that is yet. 
that's going to be on the album. I almost w- would have liked that sort of transition better than the transition they ended up going with on the album. But that's something to discuss way down the road. Um, on the album Deviations, uh, with all the fragile outtakes, you hear the entire uncut version. It doesn't fade out, and we don't hear the complication guitar. We hear the uncut continues into We Want Kiss. I think they messed with the stereo field there, so it's like off kilter in the right and left. Interesting effect. Anyway, I just wanted to put that out there that they're not, in fact, chanting for Nine Inch Nails at the KISS concert in 1976. (laughs) Uh, But no offense to anyone uh, who may have had it wrong. Okay. Is that all you got for Starfuckers? Um, You ever notice weird little noises at the end of Starfuckers? There's weird little noises in, like, every Nine Inch Nails song. This little part always stood out to me. You you hear that? What's it sound like is going on there? I don't know. Sounds like somebody saying everywhere you go. Yeah, do that again. That always stuck out to me like crazy. So I used our magical vocal isolation software. Uh, And it's not great, but this is what I got. Not very clear. It could be Trent, really have no idea, but just kind of sounds like. Just thought that was interesting. Okay. Okay, let's take a quick break, grab more water, then come back to talk about everyone's favorite on here. The day the world went away, quiet. The alternate version of The Day the World Went Away, I'm not going to say a remix because it's just like a different Mm -hmm. version altogether. The quiet version. Quiet. Good name for it because it is very quiet Mm -hmm. by comparison. And we do have another guest vocalist. Um, This time it is New Orleans-based jazz vocalist Kim Prevost. Right. Yeah. She said that she just got a call from her agent saying that Trent wanted a vocalist for his new album and wanted her specifically. He did not find her at a bar. This one's different. No. (laughs) I wonder why he wanted her specifically. Well, okay. So when she met him, she asked him, like, how did you find out about me? You know, what? Pretty much is like, why me? (laughs) Like, what, 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 why? And he told her that he had seen her name in the local papers and had gotten, um, like, a good response about, vocals in the jazz genre and wanted to try it to see how it went 
Did I read this somewhere that he wanted something that was totally unrelated to like someone who didn't even know about his band? I mean, that sounds about right. Yeah, like, someone not in that world, a totally different flavor, if you will. And maybe someone who is more down for things like improvisation. As yeah. a jazz vocalist or a jazz musician, you're much more trained in, I would say, different types of musical improvisation. Right. So if someone is throwing something at you or asking you to do something, you're much more likely to be able to achieve that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Jazz is all about improv, daddy-o. I wonder how much she actually recorded, though, in the studio. I think it's stuff like this that it drives me wild. Like, what if there's tons of Kim Prevo stuff that's on the cutting room floor? Could be. I don't know. I know when she went, she took her husband, who she performs with. Um, I think he was her fiance at the time. I don't mm-hmm. think they're married yet. But he mm. was just marveling at all of Trent's equipment <laughs> and his guitars. Like Moog synthesizer, huh? <laughs> you really like those. Yeah. And she said that it was a very pleasant work experience and that Trent made her feel very comfortable and she even got to exchange some ideas with him, maybe. She was like, what if you called this track Into the Void? And what if the bass line went a little like this? And he was like, yoink. <laughs> but I don't uh, know if we ever verified her. I feel bad saying like prevost. Like maybe that's a Ozarkian bastardization. It probably is. What, like, what if her name is like Kim Prevost? Ooh. Or just Prevost. Like, yeah, it could be anything, so I'm sorry if we've got it wrong. We're from a state that has a city called Bodark, <laughs> but it's spelled <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, like in the French way, like B-O-I-S, new word. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she did a few things up in that Nothing Studios that ended up on records. But you have to really, really listen for it. But we'll we'll hear her on this track. Okay. You wanna play it? Yeah, let's go. Na 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 begins strangely with menacing not the pretty na na na's of the original version, but a almost menacing just Trent I don't know, it's hard to describe. I don't know, these sound like, yeah, like, bully. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> More like taunting. Yeah. Not anthemic. I'm not going to use that for this. But then later on, quite beautiful. Do you know where the downbeat is right here, by the way? She shakes her head no. I'm just going to have to interpret body language in this podcast. <laughs> Um, it took me a really, really long time to find the downbeat here because he's doing his Trent thing of obscuring it. Even now, it's kind of difficult because when you hear that first piano note, it's, that's not the downbeat. It's like the it's like the uh of four from the previous um, measure for my nerds out there, for my ICSI patrons. the little uke comes back in it's either uke or mandolin probably the uke again 
like it's really nice. It is. As far as which is the better version. It's very beautiful version, and atmospheric. Yeah. And this gives regular version a real run for its money as far as which one's the better one. Um, it is absolutely a contender for the better version. There, I don't know if if we've come across a alternate version yet. We've come across many alternate versions. But I don't know that we've come across one that's like, oh, this is the better one. Maybe we have. We've done a lot of stuff. But in several ways, I think this is the better one. But it's just a different, it's a different one. And yet another vocal take, of course, here. He's doing it a bit different. In some ways, I prefer the vocal performance here. Coming up is my favorite part. This is why I like this is the better version, I think. These harmonies here. Shrieking in the background. Oh my god. He's like in a far, far away room. It's in a far, far away room with a pillow over his yeah. face, screaming. Yeah. <laughs> like on the on the regular version, I miss I miss that harmony not being there. I want it to be there. I have to go back to. We have to go back to describe my other favorite thing. Uh, the price he'll have to pay line. The way the note goes up. Listen here. Yeah. It goes up instead of down, and for some reason I love that, and I, I prefer too. that. I don't think it would work melodically in the original version, but it's better for this one. We do have the blue drones. They're one thing that's the same. Then that the uh, I call it the signature Trent Reznor muted staccato bass. We're kind of getting probably a combination of bass and guitar plucks here, but just ultra muted. We kind of heard it on Hurt, and we will hear it again and again in Nin stuff. Like we hear it to this day. We heard it on the the Halsey album. Remember mm -hmm. the Lighthouse. Uh, outro on that. I need to listen to that album again. It's so good. Yeah. It's just been a while. <laughs> and then the piano, there's no, there's no na-na-na's. There's just the piano mimicking it. Well, okay, we do get na-na-na's. They come in after. And we'll discuss that. But I like this way of, instead of doing jump scare, Yeah, so vocals have arrived very, very faintly. Easy to miss if you're not listening carefully. But the original track does this jump scare back into the chorus part. This eases you into it so gently. 
beautiful lullaby. If they did the uh, kids lullaby version of this, they wouldn't even have to change it. Trent going in the left. Mm-hmm. Na, na, na. Vocal frying. That's good. Love it. He fries out. Everything about this is good. The, these pad sounds, the piano, the soft vocals. Ends on. It doesn't end on that sharp cut. It ends on this beautiful uh, resolved chord that just fades out um yeah wild stuff very good you know 10 out of 10 no notes <laughs> what do you think <laughs> i agree quiet. i love quiet version it's a nice little sequel to day of the world went away original flavor you know or at least that's how i kind of see it this one later um definitely influences the version that we hear on still uh we'll get to that it's almost like this alternate version created the still aesthetic you know like maybe he made this and he was like hmm, i'd like to do that with some other tracks just a theory though okay so what i pulled from this i never really thought about what uh kim Provost did uh, probably because I didn't know that she was on it until recently. <laughs> um, I want to point out we also have a city in Missouri named Versailles. Versailles. <laughs> We're stupid here, folks. <laughs> so she comes in, as far as I can tell, she doesn't come in until toward the end after the piano is doing the main melody. She joins it, kind of doubling that melody, just doing the na 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 very softly. Um, and yes, I use some vocal isolation magic again, thanks to that website. And possibly for the first time, here was the best I could do at isolating uh, the Kim vocals. Bear with me here, because there's a lot of digital weirdness. But this is what I got. <laughs> Trent's cutting in. yeah when i first did that i was like oh god it like startled me because you can for the first time i heard her scooping up into like a bit of vibrato and i was like holy shit she's back there doing that no one even heard it so far in the background so quiet Thank God for this technology. <laughs> I know it's 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 messy, but um, I It'll thought improve. that was pretty cool. Yeah, someday, someday, <laughs> uh, we'll have better technology here at Nailed Labs. <laughs> All right, there's one more that we should probably talk about. 
One more, you say. One more. The Porter Ricks version of uh, yes. The Day the, the World Went Away. So important Porter Ricks remix. I like it. I don't like love it. I'm not in love with it, but I think it has a nice vibe. But anyway. Uh, Porter, <laughs> it has a vibe. <laughs> Porter Ricks, uh, they're a duo, uh, Thomas Conner and Andy Melvig. Oh, well, that blows my theory out of the water. What's your Because I was looking around like, who the hell is Porter Ricks? I thought it was a guy's name, uh, Porter Ricks, because uh, I'm dumb. I was like, who is this person? Seems kind of elusive. And I was like, must be like Aphex Twin yeah. in disguise, right? Yeah, I think Conner's more of like a, he might be the more famous one. He's like a multimedia artist. And their stuff is kind of known. Well, they released one album called Biokinetics in 1996 hmm. on a, a label called Chain Reaction. And it was considered a classic in the dub techno genre. And it got an 8.5 out of 10 from Pitchfork. So that's some arty, pretentious shit. Yeah. (laughs) Trent must have been really vibing on this stuff in his perfect drug era. Yeah. Yeah. So it it does have like, they're known for like this dark atmospheric kind of style. And you can definitely hear that when you listen to that album. It sounds gray. (laughs) Cold and gray? Cold and gray. Interesting. Anyway, um, do you want to get started on it? Yeah, it's seven minutes long. We We might skip. We can talk over it. Yeah. Sounds like day the world went away to me. Yeah, totally. Now we are hearing Trent's vocals way back there. Almost at a whisper. Do Porter Ricks care what the tempo was of the original song? No. Not at all. <laughs> the vocals are just kind of there. They are not anchored to any sort of beat. There is a beat here. It's but... like you're at a house party and there's some dude in the bathroom singing a totally different song. <laughs> wow, yeah, that <laughs> and is you're just exactly hearing what him, it is. And you're like, what the hell is going on? I got a pee, dude. It's like anyway. they just wanted to make this vibe track and they're like, how do we connect it to this uh, Nine Inch Nails thing that we've been assigned to? I don't know, just like tack on the vocal track mm. somewhere in the background. Just, you know what? Just take a gummy and vibe. That's yeah, what this is I, about. If I can't take a gummy, I can't. It does create a vibe that is fine. I, I don't see it as having much to do with the song. That it's supposedly a remix of, but I have nothing against it. Maybe I'm resentful that it's like longer than the first two tracks combined. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know what we didn't talk about? I'm going to talk over this just a little bit. Yeah, We didn't talk about the artwork for the single. Um, Ah, yes. Yeah. It's a very much... uh, I fucking love the fragile era aesthetic. I fucking love flowers. I especially love this so much, like this this cover. And I believe there were like, were there three alternate covers or just two? Eh, there were two or three alternate black and white flower things. Okay, there are two alternate covers. Okay. So the first one features these these covers. We'll post them on our Instagram if you've never seen them. Um, but they're they're these stark photos of very minimalistic of just a close up of 
a, fl- ultra a flower. Ultra close up. Yes. And um, who did the photos? I think that I'm not sure who actually did the covers. So David Carson did most of the fragile era artwork. But I think it was our friend Asher who discovered that this single was designed by Robert Hales. And Hales would later co-direct the video for Starfuckers, Inc. Um, Hmm. And he's also gone on to direct a ton of different music videos. Um, So he directed videos for the Donnas, (laughs) Jet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And Gnarls Barkley. He won a VMA for Crazy. Wow. Mm -hmm. So... Where's this VMA for star suckers? <laughs> Didn't get one, I guess. So the cover of the album that we all have, it has a it's a kangaroo paw. That's the photograph on the front. That that's the name of the plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't please don't think that it's an actual kangaroo mm-hmm. paw. That was unclear there. Sorry about that. So the other alternate cover is a close-up of a split rock plant. These plants have weird names. They're also weird looking. They're they're like alien. And I think it's probably why they were chosen. They're amazing. Close up photos. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what the first alternate cover is. But it it's really cool one too. Yeah, we'll post it. Yeah. Check check that insta. The flower looks like in it doesn't look organic to me for the second or for the first alternate cover. very cold um well that's probably on purpose yeah (laughs) it's the cold gray blue aesthetic here exactly speaking of coldness this remix is even colder than any of the versions we've heard so far it's icy icy so uh we're gonna have a we're gonna have a bonus episode about all the artwork, so I'm not gonna get too much yeah. into like the inspiration behind these photos or anything like that. But credit to Asher for finding out for doing double his, credits to Asher this episode for wow. doing his thing. He's loving this. He's loving the attention. <laughs> oh, this noise that comes! I did notice this noise comes in toward the end. And it's kind of melodic. And I was like, what if? I was like, what the hell is that? Then I had a thought, what if it was the na-na-nas, but like chopped up and rearranged and distorted? I could be, that's probably wrong, but they share, melodically, they share a lot of, the notes are the same, just like rearranged. It could be. Yeah, because you hear the... Nah, yeah, I hear nah, like some... Nah. I, 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 I think, think that that's may be what, what it, it is. is. Yeah. I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of fades out on this. Actually, it... It leaves that that noise. Yeah, that's it. I'm cranking it way up here. Oh, that's wild. 
New discoveries abound on Nailed. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of new discoveries, um, you know what we forgot to say when we were talking about Starfuckers? What? That Bob Esbrin was the original writer and producer for... Oh, yeah. um, Shout it out loud. Oops. Sorry. No, we we should say we should mention it right here. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, Bob Ezrin, sequencer of the Fragile, has a writer and producer credit on "Shout It Out Loud," sampled on "Starfuckers." That can't be a coincidence, folks. Can't Insert X Files theme here. The truth <laughs> is out there. Everything comes in cycles. Uh, yeah, do with that information what you will. I okay. Mean, he, he so, worked with Trent's influences, Kiss and Pink Floyd. I think that's where the coincidence comes from. But yeah. Yes. So the only other thing is whenever I was researching for the song, I kept wondering where the title came from. Yeah. Like, we know that Reznor loves like sci-fi and horror, right? So I was like, maybe there's like a... and. Like, maybe there was an episode of The Outer Limits or something. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it could be a Twilight Zone or an old pulpy sci-fi something or other. Yeah. So I just went through Google and I discovered, I just went through Google. I went through I all went through all, of Google. I looked Google. through all of Google. I looked through all of it. Mm-hmm. So I just Googled and, and uh, kind of played around for a while and yeah. I discovered a book that was published in 1973 by an author named Anne Schraff called The Day the World Went Away. Amazing. Yes. Amazing discoveries. Amazing. But I had not seen this in any wikis or anything. No. And here's here's the thing. The author is from Cleveland. Now, she doesn't, she didn't live there. Like, I think she grew up, she was born and raised there. So my theory is... Maybe when Reznor was living in Cleveland, mm-hmm. hang going going to junk stores. You know, that's what mm-hmm. you do when you're young. You, you go to junk stores. Seventy three, when it dropped, when the book dropped, <laughs> he was eight. a child. Yes, he was eight. So when I'm talking about whenever he lived in Cleveland, yeah, and because it was a writer who was from the area, probably a lot of people had bought these books and then donated them. Mm. So maybe he came across the book and that title just stuck with him like as an adult like maybe he just saw yeah. it somewhere and the title just kind of stuck with him possibly yeah things get in your head it could be a coincidence mm-hmm. but it's also a kind of weird specific combination of words mm-hmm. you could say that the world is going away or whatever in many different ways but he chose that one and yeah. why yeah and so uh just in case anyone's curious as to what the premise of the book is, uh, it is about 13 teenagers who experience a period of terror when their school is mysteriously closed, their parents disappear, and a gang of youths plan Ooh. to build a new world for losers. <laughs> for losers? Not losers. <laughs> this sounds amazing. I want to read it. I ordered it because I was hoping the title and the premise gave me... Maybe Lord of the Flies vibes? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's like discount Lord of the Flies. Maybe. Yeah, we're going to have a copy here. Uh, I'm predicting an AYTP mailed crossover event. The very first crossover. (laughs) That'll be amazing. Josh will hate me forever. Yeah, he will. Um, By the way, this is reviewed on Goodreads. It has three stars um, is the average rating. Not bad. Not bad. And there's only one review, and it's written by author Grady Hendricks, who says... 
Well, I don't want to spoil the book because I think he spoils it. Grady so. Hendrix spoils it in the... That's interesting. That he says, turns out biker hippies did it. Did what? I don't know. I'll have to read the wrote book. Wrote the book. Maybe. Know. Maybe Ann Schraff is a uh, biker hippie from Cleveland. Interesting. You know, Grady Hendrix was here at our library. I, sh- I wish I would have known back then. I would have asked in his Q&A. What he what? thought of the day the world went away, the, the YA book from nineteen seventy three, the book and the Halo oh, yeah. from nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, I would have asked him. He knows. I, I bet he's a fan or was. He's around our age, right? In his mid forties. Yeah, forty. Nostalgic guy. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that that's what the book is about. Yeah. I don't think that's what the song is about. No, but the the book cover, the version I ordered. It's just like a stark photograph of like a group of kids just kind of staring yeah, dead eyes. I, I like the photo yeah. on the cover. We'll we'll post that too. I could see how it would stick with you if you kind of randomly yeah. came across Haunting. the book. Yeah. They don't make YA cover art like they used to. Anyway. It's true. Yep. Used to be better. A lot of covers stuck with me from when I was a kid. All those VC Andrews books. Mm. Oh, yeah, open Love them. those little yeah. die cut keyholes. They're great. They're great. Okay, so... Anyway, I'm sorry I got us a little bit off track there. No, that's okay. Um, I just wanted to talk about that. And I just have a couple more things, maybe. And I know there are things that we're leaving out, and I apologize, but we'll come back around to maybe like our interpretation like the of, the song. of the song. And exactly. Its lyrics. Yeah. It's very abstract. I mean, you, you can easily read about what the song's about in theory. Uh, it's out there. Yeah. But it's really, it's just so abstract. It's very interesting. Okay. Just a couple other things to talk about. I'll keep it brief so then we can rate it and say goodnight to to all y'all. But so this song was used after I had, I, I just rediscovered it basically um, when I was least expecting it uh, in my 20s. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, it was used in the Terminator Salvation trailer. Was not expecting to hear that. No. What? <laughs> In the movie theaters, and this trailer pops on him. A long time. <laughs> My head perks up. We are outnumbered by machines. Christian Bale pretending to be American. Strength that cannot be measured. Man, I had such high hopes for this movie. I love the Terminator. Yeah. Well, the first They're, two movies are just amazing. We can't ever go back to. But I was like, man, Christian Bale. He's so great. Bryce Dallas Howard. We can win this war. <laughs> I believe me, I know what the voice was. Never seen before. My name is Marcus Wright. You think you're human? I am human. Like, I have a robot body. <laughs> have you seen this one or no? The trailer? No, just the movie. Yeah. Oh, you okay. know I've seen it. I don't remember most of it. I remember it being abysmal. Sorry if there are a lot of fans out there. 
They added a beat, by the way. You hear that? Why don't we have this version that has the drum beat? I'm sure it exists only for the trailer. This is a long-ass trailer, it feels like. It's only like two minutes. I'm the only hope you have. This is the most joyless Terminator we could ever imagine. (laughs) After Terminator 3, which was basically a comedy... (laughs) <laughs> oh, Terminator 3. Comes, they're like, all right, let's suck all joy. Make it the coldest, the grayest, the most bland and dreary Terminator you've ever fucking seen. <laughs> and people yeah. reacted accordingly. Yeah, it was, I don't know. I guess Christian Bale did the best he could. Yeah. He was great, but. The movie was he so was he great? I mean, that accent didn't sound great. I mean, me. he looked great. I mean, who am I well, kidding? Okay. I'm Christian, if you're a nailed fan, call me. I'm sure he is. Probably. Why not? He could be in the Discord. I don't know. That's the American Psycho you're talking about. <laughs> okay. So the other thing is that recently a trailer came out for the fourth season of Westworld, and for that, um, Ramin Jawadi who you might know is probably most famous for composing the themes for Game of Thrones, including that epic title sequence, right? The opening credits. Yeah. It's amazing. So he also does Westworld. Um, Does he he do the piano covers? I believe so. But he did an interpretation of The Day the World Went Away, and this just came out recently, I believe, in June. So here you go. Breaking news. (laughs) It's a very fragile summer for everyone. I just want everyone to know this. It's all coming together. I think you changed the key here. When you want something to be dramatic as all hell, you put this song in there. Oh, cinematic. Anthemic. (laughs) (laughs) Anthemic. Nine Inch Nails meets Game of Thrones. Yeah, kind of. He must be a fan to pull this song out all these decades later, you know? Or a fan of Terminator Salvation. (laughs) Possibly. like a full full song here 
quiet version. <laughs> wow, it makes me want to watch some Westworld that I haven't seen beyond a, beyond a few episodes. Also, I want to say one more thing that I forgot in the excitement of our game playing. Uh-huh. Is that on the Billboard Top 100? I forgot the number 10 song, and it was Summer Girls by LFO. Oh, my God. And I'm sorry. I apologize to LFO. I apologize to Josh. I apologize. His favorite song of all time. To LFO fans. Um, that yeah, that song I actually remember viscerally. Yeah. So, sorry about that. Wow. You wouldn't have got it, though, anyway. Yes, I would have. <laughs> I remember that song. Some of the ones you said I didn't. So, Blake. Mm-hmm. Now's the part in the show where we rate mm, inch ratings. In inches, what we would give this this halo. How many inches out of nine? I'm giving it nine. I'm giving it the full nine. You wanna know why? Why? Quiet version. <laughs> mm, yeah. I mean I love I honestly could not tell you how I reacted to the song whenever I, I bought it. I think it was I didn't know what to make of it, I think. When I was, you know, 17 and hearing it for the first time. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I know I didn't, I think I found it intriguing and was curious, yeah. <laughs> like, for what was next. I don't know if I, like, was necessarily in love with it. Now, though, I really, really, I've grown to love the song. Mm -hmm. And I really love the quiet version. So I am going to give it a perfect nine. Yeah, I I didn't experience it uh, as something new. I wish I did, like you did. But I've always liked it. Not even my favorite track on The Fragile, but still a really great one. Not something I would have picked as the lead single at all. What would you have picked? I mean, would oh, you have been obvious? Lead? I would have done Into the Void. I would have been probably, very obvious. Yeah, that's just like the lead banger. Yeah, yeah. that's probably what I would have what my dumbass would have done, but maybe it's better that he went more uh, abstract with it and went less his own obvious. way. Yeah. Yes, quiet is awesome. Starfuckers is a cool song. So interesting that it's on there with you know a very night and day thing there. Porter Ricks, I don't really care about, uh, but yeah, I'll give it a nine. I mean that I have nothing. I have no qualms, no notes, as I've said. Yeah, I don't really see flaws here. Just two awesome versions of a, of a great track. And then some extras. Agreed. In, including the very enjoyable Starfuckers Inc. <laughs> the very enjoyable to some, not so enjoyable to others. Yeah, but a really cool, a cool teaser leading us into the Fragile album. We have no idea what's coming. Really, really don't. Because you have this strange yeah. abstract song. Yeah. And then you have like a Nine Inch Nails banger. And then just a reinterpretation of that strange abstract song that's even right. stranger. It's like, wait, we don't even know what. We haven't even figured out what this is yet. And you're giving us a second version of it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I love it. Cool. All right. Let's, Nine Inches for Halo 13. Let's wrap this up. Blake, is there anything that you want to talk about before we go? Okay, so before we go, it's time to do some new patron shout-outs. People who have gone to patreon.com slash nailedpod and subscribed. Hey, Blake. Yeah. When you read these, can you do it in a Michael Caine voice? No. 
Can you do it in a Southern lawyer voice? <laughs> no, I don't do that. <laughs> okay, sorry. Never mind. Uh, but we like to shout out our patrons here. So thank you for joining up. Christopher, John, Alex, Siggy, Jacob. And I don't know if some of these that I've read before or not. Uh, but if I have already read them, oh well. Bryn also. Lucinda and Scott. So thank you for joining. If you want to be like them, you can get what we're up to like 26 bonus episodes. Yeah. And every other week or so, we're going to be giving you extra non Halo fragile content and beyond. You can also hang in the Discord and talk with us. And yeah, uh, also gets you that exclusive Discord access. Talk with the gang. It'll get you access to the pre-sale. If you're a patron, uh, you can get uh, new merch store stuff early. And soon we're going to be dropping the summer collection of nailed merch. Uh, some wild stuff going to be in there. It's not out yet, but I'm, I'm trying soon. <laughs> soon. Soon. As they, soon, as they say. So yeah, tell like a million of your friends about us. If you like us, rate us and review us on the podcast yeah. app you use. You can I, even rate us on Spotify now. Yeah. If you use Apple Podcasts, it would be awesome if you wrote a little review. We haven't had one of those in a while. And rate it five stars, by the way. Don't be don't be stingy. Don't be like the the weirdos who gave it one for whatever reason. I want a re I just want a reason. Yeah, just give us a reason. Even if Come they're just on. like Y'all are posers. I'd be like, okay. I know I'm a poser. <laughs> Trust me, dude. I think that's the only platform that I know of that lets you write a review. Anyway. I know I'm an imposter, okay? I suffer from the syndrome every day. <laughs> we, yep, as we all do. But all of our stuff is at nailedpod.com. So we're on Instagram, Twitter. Check us out there, too. Definitely. You can contact us, nailedpod at gmail.com if you want to write to us. Put it in the nail bag. That's right. All right. Anything else, Jess? No, I guess that next time you'll hear us on the main feed, we'll be talking about. We're going to begin our the journey album. into the actual fragile, which is going to be a several episode series. So quite an undertaking. Yeah. Watch out for that. And in the bonus, I think we're going to do a nothing studios special. Just talk about more on the Buddha boys. <laughs> very cool funeral home turned recording studio yep so that's all okay. i got for now sorry if this went long just to talk about a little old single uh, but thanks for listening everyone that's it for us on nailed and didn't that make you feel better <laughs> <laughs>